Welcome to the Legal One podcast brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we're thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is approximately 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get important information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing crucial legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other important stakeholders to positively address the issues in question and know how to get a greater level of understanding of those issues. So let's get started, and thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Legal One podcast. We are very excited to have a discussion today about critical issues that are impacting our schools when it comes to marijuana use and the impact of recent changes to New Jersey's state constitution and state law and how that is impacting our public schools. My name is David Nash. I am the director of the Legal One program. And for this conversation, I have two wonderful guests who have just been great partners with us in uh, so much of the work that we have been doing over many years to help schools in addressing issues of substance use for students and finding ways to support students. So I have with me today, Diane Litterer, who is the executive director of the New Jersey Prevention Network, and Andrea Zapchik, who is prevention director for the New Jersey Prevention Network. So Diane, uh, let me start with you. Will you give our listeners just a brief overview of the role that you have and the work that New Jersey Prevention Network does. Sure, thank you, David, uh, for having us here and we're excited to talk about this really important issue. Um, I am the CEO of the New Jersey Prevention Network um, and oversee all of the initiatives as it relates to our prevention work, our tobacco prevention work, and also our addiction training and development departments. And the work that you do in developing partnerships um, across the state has been incredible. So, uh, you know, I really want to thank you for being such a wonderful partner and helping to bring so many groups together who might not have known they had common interests, but you helped them to see the importance of, of connecting. Um, so thank you for, for being such a great leader and partner. <laughs> Yeah, you know, my core is in uh, coalition building. So, you know, we know, but we also know the expertise in, in other areas. So we like bringing the people together and, and our partnership with, with you and with Legal One has been uh, an example of that collaboration, us bringing our prevention expertise together with your legal information has provided the opportunity to provide really important tools and expertise um, across the field. Thank you so much. Um, and Andrea, thank you as well for being with us. It's been great to have a chance to work with you and to do the deep dive that we have done on so many important issues. So why don't you let our listeners know a little bit about your role with New Jersey Prevention Network? Thank you, David. And also thank you for uh, the invitation to come on and speak with you and your listeners today. As Prevention Director, so NJPN is a public health agency that supports the work, among other things, supports the work of the 21 county prevention agencies in New Jersey. And, mo and most recently, each of those county agencies hosts the Prevention Hub, which is a broad umbrella for all of their agencies' prevention programs. 
So basically, I sort of coordinate uh, a lot of the meetings, uh, which are always, we always look to make those in-depth training and technical assistance meetings. Those prevention agencies are actually the boots on the ground. They're the ones who have the school personnel around their table asking questions, what do we do, et cetera. So NJPN kind of collates all the information, works with experts such as yourself to provide the, the appropriate guidance uh, to for them to convey to the schools in, in their district. New Jersey is, is so big and with 565 municipalities and I'm not quite sure how many school districts. You probably know that right off the top of your head. Over 600. Uh, okay. Impossible for NJPN to be everywhere. So it really does work well with having, you know, where we support the partner agencies and then they actually are boots on the ground with the schools in their respective counties. So uh, for our listeners, part of what we will be talking about today is an exciting new toolkit that Legal One has worked with New Jersey Prevention Network on that we think will be incredibly helpful for school personnel and everyone interested um, in addressing these important topics and supporting our students. And that toolkit will be coming out um, at some point in the spring of 2023. So we will give a little bit of a sneak preview of some of what you'll be seeing in that toolkit. Before before we get there, I wanted to just step back for a moment for our listeners and really set the uh, framework for our conversation, give a little bit of background information on where we are in the state of New Jersey. So many of you may be aware of this, uh, but others may not, that in November of 2020, New Jersey voters approved a constitutional amendment. And that constitutional amendment legalized marijuana use on a recreational basis by those who are 21 and older. That constitutional amendment also decriminalized much of what we see with marijuana use, with certain exceptions. For example, for those who are involved in drug distribution and drug sales efforts over certain quantities where criminal penalties uh, still remain in effect. But the law did obviously signal a major change in state law on this issue. Of course, it was a referendum uh, that changed our state constitution, but it left many issues that still had to be worked through, through state legislation and regulations. So several months later in February, and then again in March, the legislature enacted a, a series of laws to try to implement this constitutional amendment and put some detail into exactly how we were going to go through this transition process. A cannabis regulatory commission was established, and we are, as of the recording of this, still waiting on many of the regulations that are expected to come from that cannabis regulatory commission. So we're still in a process of transition as we work through these issues. But there are certain things that we know, and we want to make sure that our listeners understand the big picture when it comes to certain areas where the law has changed and certain areas where the law has not changed when it comes to schools and students and marijuana use. So uh, some of the changes that we saw, there are significant changes in how law enforcement interacts with adults and with those under age 21 when it comes to marijuana use and suspected marijuana use or possession. So the rules of the road for how law enforcement can 
detain individuals, can search vehicles, can in some cases move forward with arrest and then with criminal prosecution. Those have significantly changed. And for our purposes, we're really focused on those 21 and under, and in particular, those who are still in our public school system. So it's beyond the scope of our presentation today to go through the details of the changes regarding law enforcement interactions, but it's important for you to understand that there were major changes in that area. Of course, many um, of our listeners who work or have children in our public schools want to know about the impact on our public schools. And in many ways, the rules of the road have not changed for public schools. And that's an important point for all of us to understand. So for example, it would still be a violation of state law for any student or adult, by the way, to bring marijuana onto school grounds or to a school function or on a school trip. So New Jersey has not changed the law when it comes to possessing marijuana in school or at any of those school-related functions. School officials still have a responsibility if any school employee has reason to believe that a student may be under the influence of alcohol, marijuana, or other controlled substances, to immediately report that and to arrange for that student to have an immediate medical examination. And the law on this has not changed. So if a student appears to be under the influence at school and a teacher or other school employee sees that, they need to report that immediately and the principal needs to arrange to have that student sent out for an immediate medical examination. And that can happen in a variety of ways. Of course, parents are notified if at all possible, and parents are given the option in most cases to be able to come to the school to pick up their child and go immediately to a doctor. In some cases, school officials are unable to find a parent or a parent is unable to immediately come or immediately get to a doctor. And in those cases, if a student is suspected of being under the influence, the student needs to be sent to the local emergency room and needs to be seen by a doctor. And we have to make sure that student is okay. The biggest reason for those rules is to do everything we can to protect the safety of our children. So those rules haven't changed. Sometimes school officials are under the mistaken impression that it's up to the school nurse to decide if a student is going to be sent out for a medical examination or be required to undergo any sort of drug testing. And that's not what New Jersey law says. Of course, the school nurse plays a very important role on so many fronts. And on this issue is critically important because the school nurse would be looking at any student who has been referred to determine if that student has immediate medical needs, if there's things that have to happen to help and support that student while we're waiting for emergency services to come or while we're waiting for that parent to come pick that child up and go immediately to a doctor. But that's the role of the school nurse, not to override the decision or the concern raised by any other school employee. So the law on that really has not changed. There are related laws that also have not changed. For example, if a student is suspected of being under the influence, there are related laws that come into play regarding searching of that student, searching of the student's belongings, searching of a student's locker, even a student's vehicle, if it was on school grounds, as long as school officials have reasonable suspicion to think that the student may have been in possession of substances while on school grounds. So those, Rules have not changed. One area that 
does get a little bit of confusion involves schools that have a school resource officer. So uh, a school resource officer is in fact considered a police officer. And for any school that has an SRO in their building, they would be following the same rules as all other law enforcement. And there are significant new restrictions on the ability of law enforcement to be detaining students or questioning students or searching students related to suspected marijuana use. So uh, school officials need to be very aware of that and understand when others should be involved in these issues and not the school resource officer. So that's a summary of something that in uh, many different settings I would spend five or six hours on walking through some important um, issues related to New Jersey law, but it just gives you a broad overview of the legal structure. And for those who are interested in additional information, we do encourage you to view the Legal One website, and we will provide uh, that website link at the end of today's podcast episode, and also to look at the wonderful information provided by New Jersey Prevention Network. So with that, Diane and Andrea, let me turn to you and let's talk about some of what you are seeing as far as societal trends related to student substance use broadly and related to marijuana use and the impact that schools should be aware of when it comes to those trends. So Diane, why don't we start with you? So, you know, often what happens both from the adult's perspective and the youth perspective, once we start talking about legalization of a drug substance, people connect that with safety. <laughs> you know, well, it can't be so bad, it's legal. But we know from our, you know, both tobacco and alcohol, both being legal substances, there's certainly dangers associated with use, especially use under 21. And I think that we're grateful that even though the law changed, that they were very clear that it is not legal for those under 21 to to use the substance. So I think that the consequences of legalization has been, I think, both parents and you thinking that this is now a safe product even if they're not getting it through a legal process or or thinking that they get it through a legal process that, you know, it's okay, you know, everyone's confused about what does this law mean and so forth. And that confusion causes challenges and not really providing a clear message to our youth that they really shouldn't be experimenting with marijuana. I think the other piece is the confusion of marijuana and cannabis, like the, the two names. <laughs> And, you know, in, in our work, it's, it is confusing, um, but the way the Attorney General of New Jersey has sort of separated this terminology is that the legal distribution and sales through legal dispensaries to adults over 21 is the cannabis regulatory process. And so that product and process is referred to as cannabis but a distinction of those either illicitly received product or products being used by someone who is not of the age of 21 is being referred to as marijuana. So even all the way from the federal government, it gets confusing. (laughs) But for parents, they should realize that basically when it gets in the hands of our youth, it doesn't matter what it's called. It is a substance that can cause, you know, issues and problems and, and so forth. And, and these substances used by kids under 21 with the developing brain has more negative effects. I think the other kind of misunderstanding is some of us of, of a certain age, 
<laughs> kind of back in the college days or, you know, there's reference to it's not your grandma's weed, it's not your mother's weed, like all of that, um, that the, the level of THC um, that are in the products are much higher levels than which was in the past. And so the effects on use of these substances is much more significant. And so, I, you know, I think that that is also something to just be sensitive to. There's challenges with the way people are using and the types of products that people are using as it relates to like vaping, you know, so the, the products that they're putting in a vape pen is much higher THC levels. Then again, the more traditional, you know, vegetation, vegetative, we, you know, joint as people have called it. And so understanding the, those variations too, or even what for parents need to be looking for, the different products are very different. They're not as traditional as they were in the past. So I think that the complexity of when you legalize a substance, it does make it challenging for both schools and for parents to kind of keep track of all these different alternative products. And then, you know, you bring up so many important points um, there, uh, Diane. So Andrea, one of the challenges that we have been dealing with in our society and our public schools have been dealing with is the increased um, number of students who are involved in vaping. And that is a very broad challenge. Do you want to talk a little bit about that issue and perhaps some of the things that are driving that increased student use? You're right. There are, for actually going back to 2017, 2018, before legalization was really on the, of cannabis was on the radar, we saw a huge uptick in students vaping. One of our youth members has been quoted as saying, we were supposed, she's in college, we were supposed to be the generation that was tobacco free. And we were on track for that for a long, long time until vaping kind of took over the scene. And there is a huge intersection between vaping and cannabis. Vaping is actually not a substance. It's a delivery method. And therefore, it can be used to deliver what initially the students believed as harmless water vapor, which turned out to be concentrated liquid nicotine or cannabis. Regardless of what is in that vape pen, a lot of the students will say this will cite the same reasons for using for vaping, which is stress, anxiety. And then the beginning of the vaping epidemic, there was also the everyone is doing it, and that's still out there too. So a lot of those, a lot of those things factor in. It's kind of hard to separate out what's going in this going on in the schools now from the COVID-19 pandemic because the most recent New Jersey school survey statistics have shown a huge uptick in stress and anxiety amongst our student population. Let's go back for one moment to some of the issues with vaping and the underlying reasons for that vaping. So uh, can you talk a little bit about the importance of school districts having in place a safety net to identify students who have underlying mental health needs um, and being proactive on that front because students turning to vaping is not happening in a vacuum, as you said. Absolutely. And I think it's more, it, I don't want to say it's a numbers game, David, but clearly in terms of staff and supportive roles and student body population ratio, this, the adult staff are, are, are clearly outnumbered. But I think what we're seeing now is far more students that are experiencing those effects. 
we have just, you know, we've, we've in the past decade and a half, we've dealt with mortgage foreclosure crisis where some students may have lost their, their homes or been forced to move. The towns and the counties that are on the waterfront, uh, the effects of Superstorm Sandy, where they may have been out of their homes for a period of time or, or, or lost everything. And then right on the heels of that, the opioid epidemic, where they likely have lost, may have lost family members, friends, et cetera. So our students are dealing with a whole lot of extraneous factors over the last decade and a half. And I think that sort of set the stage for it. But the schools, it, they're the front lines of defense, whether we like it or not. They're the one, they, students spend more time with their teachers in a school building and with their peers each day than they actually do in their homes with their families. And so there's really a, a, a huge need for students to drill down into those, or for schools to be able to drill down into some of those underlying causes. And we also know from the landmark ACES study that adverse childhood experiences happening now in someone's life will have a profound effect on them in adulthood. So it's really, and part of what NJPN is doing is educating our partner agencies, working collaboratively to develop tools for all sectors, schools, pediatricians, courts, police, et cetera, to like look past the behavior you know, that, um, I, Diane, what's, is it, um, when we stop asking what's the matter with you and start asking what happened to you, then we are able to get to, to the, start getting to the root of the real issue. So Diane, let me ask you to jump in on this conversation. And, you know, part of what we have seen in school districts across the state of New Jersey, and I'm sure this is true across the country too, school districts um, oftentimes have a code of student conduct in place that can have some very strong disciplinary consequences for students who are found to have been engaged in substance use. And it's understandable, school officials are trying to deter and change behavior. But can you talk about the impact, for example, of district policies that require long out-of-school suspensions for students who may have been involved in substance use? Yeah, you know, often the substance use and the involvement is really an underlying issue to a broader problem. And so solutions kind of creating punitive responses to substance use is really not getting at the issue. So ultimately will not solve the problem from the school's perspective. It's more of a short, maybe it feels like a short-term solution, but not a long-term one, um, but certainly not a supportive response that the student needs. And so in all of our recommendations, both back when we did our tobacco policy recommendation document and, and what's gonna be kind of focused on with our new toolkit in regards to the marijuana, recommendations is really to create a much more supportive response. Sometimes a supportive response can be educational, you know, providing an educational opportunity for both the parent and the student and figuring out ways that that can happen and depending on the resources and the programs that are available, but also having a supportive team, student assistance counselors, and really accessing the use of that. Not all schools even have a student assistance counselor actively involved or peer you know, counseling, but really to encourage schools to have that more supportive response and sort of acknowledging the behavior as not being acceptable behavior, but also realizing that there might be some, it might just be like the tip of the iceberg and really 
drilling down into what's below the water surface and identifying the issues that you know schools and or additional resources could be brought to the table to help support students in reducing the substance use, but also hoping to support them in, in any other issues that they might be having. So as we think about these issues, of course, it's difficult for a parent to think about their own child struggling with substance use, perhaps struggling with underlying mental health needs. How can school officials and parents uh, work together to try to bridge uh, some of those gaps when it comes to talking with children about these issues? Sometimes it's very difficult to start those conversations with kids to, to make sure that you know they know it is a safe place for us to have a conversation, whether with a school counselor or with a parent when it comes to these really difficult topics. I think, you know, and I think that's one of the problems with schools that take the punitive response is that it sets the stage for kids and the students not to really feel like there's a safe space to talk. So being able to have policy that infuses this more supportive response. So it's setting the stage for kids to feel that this is, there is a safe space here for me to talk whether it's on about the issue that is at hand, kind of the why and, you know, and so forth of maybe why I was using a substance or potentially drilling down to some other issues that schools could connect resources to. And, and I think one of the things, which is why New Jersey Prevention Network feels very, like we have a system in place where there are local organizations through the prevention hub, our prevention agencies, that allow schools and prevention partners to really look at the resources that are available in their county. Some resources are available across the state. Others are very unique to the county that they're housed in or within the district. And so those sort of more customized approaches are important to really wrap around and at easy hand to the schools to be able to access the resources that are available for families, for the students, for the employees, I think it's you know key because, and it all starts with, we're gonna have a supportive response, not send them home <laughs> for 10 day you know, suspension with no supports. That's such a great point. And you know, Andrea, just to build on that, many school officials um, or parents might not be fully aware of the systems that are in place in counties across the state and the supports and resources that are available. Do you want to talk a little bit about how our listeners can get more information about the available resources in various communities across the state of New Jersey? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. My uh, first comments, I mentioned a system of prevention hubs, which is fairly new to New Jersey. There is a statewide hub website, and that's njpreventionhub.org, all one word, njpreventionhub.org. On that website, you can get a general overview of some of the services, but then there's an opportunity to link to the individual prevention hub in your county. So you would select the county from the map and it will take you directly to that county's landing page. Every county has a warm line, whether it's via email or via a, a unique phone number. And someone in that county agency will answer the phone or respond to the email 
and provide the uh, services that are available through that agency, but also within the county. Some of those agencies are actually, some of those prevention hubs are housed in treatment agencies or counseling agencies. Some of them are simply prevention agencies, but they will all, they are all equipped to respond to the email or the phone number with the appropriate resources to help the individual. Sometimes they're looking for you know, my, I'm worried about my my son. He seems like he's drifting into a bad crowd. I need some programs or anywhere from that to, I just found out my son and my daughter's using drugs. I need to find services, treatment services for her. The hubs are sort of a one-stop shop as connectors, whether they provide the service directly or not, they are connectors to the external services if they don't. So that would be my recommendation njpreventionhub.org. And finally, uh, Diane, I know that we've talked so much about the importance of parents and school officials and school employees working together. Can you talk um, about the work that you're doing at New Jersey Prevention Network to make sure that the voices of students are heard and that students have the opportunity to be an important part of our overall effort? Sure. So we have a, you know, a couple different avenues, but you know, the one largest example is our tobacco incorruptible us program where we have local youth groups in every county and representatives from each of the counties sit on a statewide advisory board so that our tobacco work that we're doing is directly um, influenced and uh, receive input from our youth. So it's driven by the youth. And then we also have a, a middle school board that meets regarding the marijuana issues. We meet through our Impact NJ program, which is a statewide coalition. So really everything we do is both, you know, not just NJPN people sitting around and talking about, we're like pulling together those key partners across the state. So our Impact NJ coalition brings together people who are interested in, in marijuana, tobacco issues, alcohol issues, and then we have the middle school initiative youth impacting New Jersey group where we're getting input from the middle school youth population to make sure that our messaging and programming are addressing the needs that they're experiencing right now. So I know, of course, our conversation today is really only um, getting to the tip of the iceberg. There is such a deep dive that we all need to do uh, on these issues to raise our own awareness and to look for those partnerships. I do encourage our listeners to look at the resources available through the New Jersey Prevention Network at www.njpn.org. They have incredible resources. Um, and through Legal One at our website at www.njpsa.org slash Legal One. NJ. I want to thank you, Diane and Andrea, for being just incredible partners and champions and advocates for our kids on so many important issues and for helping to educate all of us and help us to move forward. So thank you so much for all of your work on this important set of issues. Thank you, David. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. Uh, we do encourage those who would like uh, to get more information about these important topics, as we said, to visit our website. And for those who would like to learn more about the Legal One podcast, we also encourage you to view our website. And we have offered a series of podcast episodes on a wide range of critical issues that everyone involved in our schools should be aware of. So be safe, be well, and we look forward to having you with us on future episodes of the Legal One podcast. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj. 